Did a glitch in the Matrix change the course of the Civil War? Is a man stalking the streets of New York City making women poop? And then we take a look at an interesting case of when life after death and UFOs collide. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's almost time for the weekend and I hope you guys have some awesome plans. And if not, if you're just chilling at home, that's cool too. I want to give a shout out to our latest Patreon supporter, Platinum Piss. Platinum Piss, I mean, it's it's an upgrade from a golden shower. It's Platinum Piss. Thank you so much for supporting the show. That really, really helps out a lot. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. That that helps a lot as well. And I totally understand some people just can't do the Patreon thing. Just tell people about the show. Helps it grow. We also have a merch store if you want to look into that. And if you are a Patreon supporter, I'm still sending out the stickers. So give me your address. We're going to get you one of these cool stickers. I'm getting emails from people who have received these stickers. I'll reveal the design eventually, but I want to get out a lot of these stickers. So thank you so much for your support. Platinum, we're going to start off in, let's take the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going up nice and slow. And then we're back in time. We're floating over. Maryland. Now it's old timey cannonballs and muskets, Civil War time. Balls flying everywhere, deadly balls, not just like bouncy balls, not a balloon party. The North and the South have collided in the field of battle. It's brother versus brother, dad versus son. Everyone's getting shot and stuff, and like cannonballs. Now we're way up in the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We don't have to worry about none of this stuff. But we're flying over the battlefield. We do kind of have to worry about it because the fate of the nation is decided on this thing. Are we going to be a nation of freemen or a nation of slavery? It's all going to be decided now. It's fall of 1862 and Confederate General Robert E. Lee has had several decisive victories. We're flying the dirigible up and we see General Lee being like, ha ha ha, I've had several decisive victories. But I'm ready to take D.C. itself. I have a plan. We're going to get out of the south. Because it's kind of muggy down here. It's super hot. There's big old mosquitoes. We're going to move into the north. We're going to take D.C. Now, he has 50,000 troops. He has to fight through an army of 85,000 Union troops, only to face another 72,000 men protecting D.C. But Lee thinks he can do it. He has a plan. He's going to hit Harper's Ferry. He's going to take that first. 12,000 troops versus their 50,000. No sweat. He sends out orders. Special Order 191. He decides to split up his forces. So he sends all these messages out to all of his other field commanders. They didn't have Wi-Fi back then. You had to give a note to someone, and they ride on their horse, and they go to this other dude, and they hand him the note. That's how it was done. September 9th, 1862. Corporal Barton Mitchell, who's with the 27th Indiana Regiment, he's about to change the course of American history. He's walking through a field, and he sees a note wrapped around three cigars. He's like, what? This is kind of weird. (laughs) He's smoking the cigars. Ah, yeah, nothing like these Virginia Slims. But I'm from the North, so nothing like these good New York Slims. He's smoking these things. Now, he's scanning over the letter. He's using it as an ashtray, and he sees at the bottom it says, by command of General Robert E. Lee. And it's signed R.H. Chilton, Assistant Adjunct General. So he's like, 
I don't know who this Chilton dude is, but I know who General Lee is. He's had several decisive victories. He takes it to his commanding officer. It goes up through the Union chain of command. And the, and the dude who gets it is Colonel Samuel Pittman. And he's looking at it. He knew Chilton before the war. He knew his handwriting. And he's looking at it and he goes, this is, this is official. This actually came from Chilton himself. It detailed where they were going to attack, locations, numbers. It was basically... It was the battle plan Robert E. Lee sent out to say, this is what we're going to do to take the war to the North. The Union finds this. Now the North, instead of just sitting there, having to have a defensive posture in this upcoming battle, can make a move. It results in the Battle of Antium. It's the bloodiest day on the war, and it halts Lee's march on Washington. People predict if Lee had been able to take Washington, D.C., would that have been a major political blow? Would it have been a morale blow? Would it have been a strategic victory? There's a lot of people who go that losing this Special Order 191 to the North was a pivotal moment. Some people go, ah, he may not have been able to do that stuff anyways, but this allowed the North to preempt that type of attack. It definitely would have bolstered morale in the South. This stopped General Lee from taking Washington, D.C. So... They still have the copy of this letter. And what's interesting was this letter was written to General A.P. Hill. Because there's multiple of these orders that, of Special Order 191. They were sent out to all these other field commanders. One of them, this one was specifically addressed to General A.P. Hill. It was written by Chilton by command of General Robert E. Lee. This is all We still have this note because it's an important piece of American history. But A.P. Hill actually got his letter. He still has it. And we still have the one wrapped in cigars. Both are authentic. What? Each general only had one letter assigned to them. And again, this wasn't like someone ran to Kinko's and made a copy of it. These are all handwritten. And A.P. Hill got his special order, looked at it, goes, that's a pretty good plan. Puts it in his jacket. Why was Hill sent two letters? Everyone else only got one. And the one that Hill got said by command of General Robert E. Lee, and it was signed Stonewall Jackson. R.H. Chilton, after the war, was asked about this. So, like, do you... Because, again, like, this wasn't just some... Po- this changed the war. A lot of people do believe this changed the war. They asked Chilton about it after the war, and he goes, oh, no, 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 I, I wrote that. Stonewall Jackson didn't write that letter. I wrote that letter, and I sent it out, and must have not got to him, but I don't remember who I gave it to. Because they asked, why was it in the middle of the field? He's like, I don't know, bro. Like, I did my part, I wrote the letter, and gave it out, and then it just kind of disappeared into the ether. So, it's interesting to think that the letter, there shouldn't have been two copies of this letter. First off, and I should have said this earlier, I got most of this information from a very well-written Reddit post by uh, Slut for Bacon on the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit. So I wanted to give Slut for Bacon a shout-out. But... I really, really appreciate it. And then I did some additional research, but I got a lot of it. I'd never heard of this until I'd read that Reddit post, so thank you for that. Obviously, because of the scope of the show, and I think what we're interested in, the first thing that I thought of was, like, time travel. Right? That somebody interfered with time to drop the... Think about, dude, fields are known to be big and, like, full of nothing. The fact that this guy was walking by, the time traveler was like, you know, I should bribe this guy with a couple cigarettes. Actually, maybe he put the note, and the dude walked by it, and the time traveler's like, dang it. He puts a cigar in the note, the guy walks by it, and the time traveler's like, dang it. Finally, he going back and forth in time, buying more cigars. He finally adds the three, that's a magical number for the guy to notice it, picks it up, and stops the South marching into 
the North. It's very, very interesting. Harry Turtledove, he writes books about alternative history. This was a plot point in one of his books. Was Special Order 191 a glitch in the Matrix? Was it the result of time travelers setting time right so the United States would remain a union instead of a confederacy of states? Freeing the slaves and creating a path towards a better future. Was it a simple issue of two people writing letters and not being aware of anything that's going on? Bad management. I mean, that's actually the most likely scenario, but it's also fascinating to think that a simple, even on that level, a simple mistake could change the course of a war. But time travel, glitch in the matrix, did Chilton write it and then hand it to someone who just kind of faded, faded away? What if the person who was carrying it was abducted by aliens and then Chilton got his mind wiped? I can say ridiculous things all day long, but the Really, the point of the story is, is that due to a small issue, literally the size of a piece of paper, the Union prevented military catastrophe. So, glitch in the Matrix, alien abduction, time travel, or just poorly managed military forces. I like the time traveler thing, because I just like the idea of a time traveler coming from the year 3000 being like, dude, if I have to buy this guy one more cigar, I'm done. I don't care who wins the war now. But eventually, three cigars was enough to get that envelope noticed. But Platinum, let's hop back in that Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're actually going, we're leaving behind old-timey America. We're coming to modern-day New York City. The glitz, the glamour, the muggings, the stabbings. Everything you love about New York. (laughs) If you love those last two, you love The Purge. But We're not going to purge New York. That's in four years from now. We're going to modern day New York. Modern day being 2018. On July 31st, 2018. We're going to hit the clubs, dude. I'm liking good. You're looking good too, dude. You lost weight. Good job. We're sitting there. Unless you want to put on weight. And then, did you put on weight? Are you more muscular? Good job. Insert compliment here. And we're walking around. We're dressed in the nines. We're going to the hottest nightclub in town. We're dancing and stuff like that. We're, We're hanging out dancing, grooving, and we see this girl walking. We see It's a club. There's a ton of women. But anyways, we have to focus in on this one particular girl, and we see her on her phone, and she's like swiping uh, left. Which one's the bad one? I think swiping left means they don't like the dude on Tinder. And then they see, ooh, I match him, and they do a swipe to the right, and then, and then she meets with this dude, right? So he comes into the bar and we see them dancing together and stuff like that. And romance is kind of cute. And then he's like this charming, successful, he's this good looking guy. He's no he's no dead rabbit radio host, but you know, he's alright. He's alright. They go out on a date, they have a great time. They go out on another date, they have another great time. They go out on a third date, and you know where this is going. I can't remember the last time I waited three dates. But anyways, I guess chivalry is not dead. This gentleman waits for three dates. He invites her back to his place. So they go back to his place. The dancing's over. It's time for a little bit of love. Oh, my stomach, she says. Oh, what? Oh, my. Oh, can you give me a second? Oh, oh you're like, Jason, are, you, are you really going to make noises for the next five minutes? Next seven minutes, maybe. Oh, she starts pooping, right? She starts pooping. Now, she's in the toilet. She's pooping everywhere. And the guy doesn't seem to really care. He's just like, okay, honey, whenever you're done. And she's like, oh, my God, I don't think I'm ever... I think I think the Eye of Cthulhu has opened up inside of me. Ah! I think this is my fate for eternity. It's okay. Just keep going. Let it come out. She eventually... There's, there's a break. 
It's like the eye of the storm, right? You know, when you're that sick to your stomach, there's a short period of time where you're able to at least get up off the toilet and maybe like get some water, maybe some crackers before you have to go back in there. Grab your phone. Sometimes grab your tablet so you can really watch the show in there. Before she got into the bathroom, she pooped a little bit in her underwear, right? So what happened was she's like, oh, you know, I pooped. I pooped a lot. She's like three. That's how she describes it. My tummy made me poop poop. She realizes after she realizes in that short eye of the storm period that she actually pooped her underwear. Like she wasn't able to get in the bathroom soon enough. And she's like, oh, great. I'm going to smell like poop the rest of the night. So I mean, she has bigger things to worry about, i.e. the storm is moving on. It's going to get bad again. This, the eye's almost over. But she does hop out of the bathroom for a bit, get some water. And when she comes back in, her date, her Tinder date, the charming, successful man is sniffing her underwear, smelling her poop. And she runs out in horror. You can keep the underwear. <laughs> I don't know how far she got before she had to knock on a neighbor's door and be like, I really, really have to go. But anyway, she runs out. Now, she tells a friend of hers, I had the worst date last night. <laughs> Trust me when I say that. You're not going to be able to top me. I had the worst date last night. I had horrible diarrhea, and the dude was smelling my dirty underwear. That in and of itself is just would be a weird news story, right? Just a weird news story. But apparently, this is happening all over New York City, Glasgow, Glasgow, Leeds, District of Columbia. Maybe it was Robert E. Lee. Maybe it was Robert E. Lee's great descendant. He goes, if I can't take D.C., I'll make them poop. I'll make all those northerners poop their pants. This guy is in all these major cities. And the story goes around and people are like, hey, listen. My sister's cousin's best friend was on Tinder, and she went out on a date, and her stomach started to hurt, and she had to poop really bad, and then the dude was smelling her poop. And people start sharing this story all over, and it's weird because nobody has firsthand accounts of this. It's always my sister's cousin, this girl that my friend went to school with. No one will admit, which to be fair, no one's going to be like, "Um, excuse me, I was the one who pooped their pants, please. It's always this back around stuff. What's interesting, though, is that it sounds like an urban legend. It sounds like a game of telephone. No one can ever point out. But people have said when you look at those cities, New York City, Glasgow, Leeds, and D.C., they've actually thought he may have gone to school in Europe and then moved to the United States and was working in finance or something like that. Maybe it's Harry Potter. Maybe he's like, I'm done at Hogwarts. Time to go make some people poop. They're like, can't you just use a magical spell? He's like, oh, I'd much rather use the... That was the thing. So using that joke as a segue, this newspaper called The Tab in the UK did an investigation on this. It was Annie Lord. She actually, because this conspiracy theory, this whatever you want to call it, has been going around it, basically the internet. It's basically, it sounds like a game of telephone. The story had been going around. So this journalist, Annie Lord, looks into it. She calls the police. The police are like, she actually calls the police in Leeds is where the story first popped up. And they go, we haven't heard any cases of this. She did. The journalist also called up a sex therapist. Sex therapist goes, you know what? It actually does fit the profile of a type of guy like this. I've heard this before. One, scat fetishes are more common than you would think. It's more common than you would think. Pooping, making people poop and eating poop. Sorry. So sorry. You're eating your jello pudding. You're like, what? What's this episode about? I hope it's not about poop. Jason never does poop episodes this week. He's getting a big scoop of Anyways, I'm going to eat this melted chocolate bar with the peanuts in it. Anyways, 
uh, it's very common. I've heard that before too. It's probably one of the most secretive common fetishes. You know, like people have a foot fetish, people have a hair fetish, but poop is like one of the big ones too, but people don't talk about it for a good reason. It's super disgusting, right? But anyway, so she said that's actually pay, that actually sounds like someone who has that fetish because it's not just about eating poop. It's about degrading the other person. Either you're getting pooped or <laughs> Sorry, Platinum Piss is like, listen, I know my name kind of goes with the theme, but I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. Sorry, Platinum. But people like to get pooped on. Not me. Not me. Don't do this to me. I don't want this to happen, but some people like to get pooped on or poop on other people. And making people poop is part of the fetish because it degrades them. So so the sex therapist goes, that actually makes sense. Like, of course, there's no proof this guy actually exists. But it's interesting that it does seem to be in those four cities. And they said, like, if you had a job in finance, that might make sense. Twitter would be the perfect way because you could fake everything. You could delete accounts, things like that. And you get to take this super hot chick back to your apartment. And then she's like, oh, her stomach's super hurting. And that is part of the fetish is making her embarrassed making her feel pain, and then eventually making her poop everywhere. It could just be an internet rumor going around, too. But it does seem to go into... It does seem to be a little bit realistic. So, if if you live in one of those four cities, and you are a young woman looking for love, always make sure to swipe left if that guy bears a striking resemblance to Robert E. Lee. Because it might be his descendant. Or, you know, just don't use Tinder. That's... I don't get it. I don't get it. I wouldn't hang out with people. I mean, obviously, I hang out with strangers. That's how you get to know people. But, like, going on a phone and, like, looking at people or going on the internet and looking... I've had blind dates before. I've had... Actually, let me rephrase it. I've had one blind date before. I think I told you that story. I tried to convince her. I was like, this date sucks, but I was too nice to end it. So, I told her I was a vampire. Did I tell you guys? (laughs) And she wouldn't leave. I told her that I could feel the organs shifting in my body. She wouldn't leave, dude. I was too nice. And then I told her that I had a cookie in the shape of an alien in my fridge that I was like four years old. And I talked to it. The funny part was <laughs> that part of the story was true. I actually did have an alien cookie I bought us at Starbucks. It was so, so awesome. I refused to eat it. I named him Grigo. And he hung out in my fridge. And I also had a jug of milk that I bought... The day I moved into that apartment, and then five years later, that chunk of milk was still in there, and his name was Melky. I swear Melky was sentient at some point. Probably wasn't sentient the whole five years, but at some point, when that cream... Oh, dude, it was so gross. Did I have to say that? Do I have to have that part? You're like, no, what? I didn't think it was gross until you said that part. I thought five-year-old milk was totally normal as you're talking trash about someone making people poop. Actually, you know what? I will talk trash because I didn't make people drink that milk. Nobody drank that milk, right? I didn't make you drink that milk. I might introduce you when you came over. I'd show you Grigo and Milky. But you know what's funny? I got evicted from that apartment and I never threw out the milk. So when they came in, they probably, like these people were like, ah, dude, he got evicted. He's a bum. And they opened up my fridge and they're like, oh, such a long day at work. I'm not going to check the expiration date on this milk. Glug, glug. Ugh. It basically went from milk to butter to some unknown element. I'm sure some scientists in Livermore Laboratories would have loved to see what was in that milk. It was its own pocket universe. So let's wave goodbye to all the lovely ladies of New York, Glasgow, D.C., and Leeds. We hope you never meet the man on the poop patrol. We are headed out to 
Russia. So Platinum, let's take up this Carpenter copter we're flying out to Russia. So earlier in this week, we did a story about a man who was kidnapped by aliens to work on a berry farm. He's like, I'm out of here. The only berry farm I work on is knots. And I'm not working on this one. <laughs> the aliens are like, what are you talking about? You're from Russia. You don't even know what Knott's Berry Farm is. He's like, you're right. I don't. It was just a reference. I like Snoopy. So, Knott's Berry Farm. Man, that was like the second cousin of theme parks. Right? You had like Disneyland, which was like the dope one. Right? That was like your cool uncle. And then you had Six Flags. I don't even think they're still around. That was your uncle who went to prison. And the Knott's Berry Farm was your cousin who never really made it. It's like they tried really hard. They tried really, really hard. And you, you saw him like kind of struggle through high school and college. And you're just like, oh, man, I know if Barry, if Barry could get his act together, he'd be really cool. But uh, not Barry. <laughs> it's not Barry Farm still around. Anyways, Platinum, let's go out. We're going to Ufa, Russia. It's nighttime. And there's a woman and her brother walking at night. We'll call her Mary. It's a good name, right? Mary and Joseph. No, that's a bad combination of names. Mary and her brother, Hank. Those typical Russian names. Harry and Mary and Hank are walking through Ufa, Russia. They're enjoying the countryside, and it's a peaceful night sky. No clouds. Just a bevy of stars in front of them. And they see a pink star, bing, and a blue star, bong appear in the night sky. And then they start to kind of float around and interact with each other. Now... Mary and Hank are looking at each other, and they're like, that's that's kind of weird. <laughs> the stars don't normally do that, right? But they don't really have time to process it, because the stars begin to dance amongst each other. And then a sphere appears out of the pink star, and it's coming. That vast distance in space doesn't matter. The white light coming from that pink star is getting closer and closer. It's a sphere coming down to Earth. It flies down. Now it's hovering not too far in front of them. It's hovering off the ground. And Mary hears a voice. A voice she hasn't heard in three years. It's the voice of her son who's passed away. Mom, watch. Nothing will happen. Mary looks at this hovering light. She says, son, how did you know I was going to be here? You like this theater of the mind? Son, how did you know I was going to be here? And her son tells her, I knew you and uncle would be here. I just knew it. The sphere is so bright, it's like daytime in this glen. It's super bright. They can see everything. There's butterflies hanging out. A bunch of crickets are waking up. It's daytime. And then her son is standing there. Holding flowers. Now, I'm realizing this now. <laughs> it doesn't say how old her son is. When I first read this, I imagined him, he was like 10 years old, right? And I thought, I thought, that's weird. Not that a 10-year-old is coming down from a spaceship, but what I'm about to explain to you. So, reading it now, I'm thinking, oh, he's an adult son. <laughs> like, even when I said his voice, he's like, mama, mama. Watch, nothing will happen. He's reading it like a little boy. I'm thinking about it now, more clearly. I think he's an adult son. Because when I think of sons, I think of like little kids, right? So, you can choose to imagine the rest of the story as a 10-year-old boy, which is how I thought of it. And I was like, what? This is weird. Or you can imagine it as what it probably was. So, 
This woman, her son, is standing there. And he's wearing Oshkosh Bigosh. He's like, Stuart, get away! Anyway, sorry to ruin the emotional impact of the story. Her dead son is now standing in front of her. And he's holding a bouquet of flowers. The mom is super touched. And then a woman steps out of the sphere. Holding a little baby. Little baby. And the son goes, this is our child. He motions to the, to the, the little baby, the little daughter that the woman's holding. Again, I thought he was 10. I was like, that's weird. I honestly thought that. I was like, why? why did... And I was thinking, is it like time travel? Like, I know I've totally ruined the emotion of this story. I was thinking, why does a 10-year-old have a little baby? Why is he married to this adult woman? And I remember thinking, well, you know, because he's a space alien, right? Like, it's space. It's like time travel. I, for whatever reason, I didn't comprehend an adult son dying three years ago. For some reason, I thought it was a kid. Makes far more sense if he's in his 20s, right? And he's... <laughs> If a 10-year-old, if a dead 10-year-old showed up in front of his mom and goes, this is my adult wife and this is our baby, the mom's going to be like, you have some splaining to do. So I think this was an adult son. Anyways, man, I totally planned this to be super emotional. Anyways, forget I said any of this. There's an adult son. He goes, mom, nothing will happen. And then she's like, what? And then he hops out. <laughs> we, we replay the events and he's standing there, strapping young lad. And he goes... This is our child, points to the little girl. And then the woman and the child disappear, and then three dudes walk out of the light, too, and they're all wearing these sparkly clothes. And the son goes, and these are my friends. These, these are my age-appropriate friends. These adult men that I'm hanging out with. I am an adult man as well. I just died a couple of years ago. And the mom's, like, super happy. And then the woman and the child reappear, and now they're both dressed in super blue, sparkly clothes. And the son goes, Goodbye, mother. Goodbye, uncle. I love you guys. You guys, like, totally rock. And then a cold wind snaps through the area. And the sphere disappears. And then they look up and they see the blue and the pink star dance a little bit longer. And then they fade from view. Despite the fact... <laughs> despite the fact... I botched that because I thought it was a 10-year-old boy. I do think that's a really interesting story. One, I mean, talk about the peace that mother must have felt. One, knowing that, his, knowing that her son was not 10. That would be the first thing, right? She's like, that's weird. He died in his 20s. Why did he appear as a 10-year-old wearing suspenders and nosh gosh? That'd be her first sign. Secondly, that even though her son died, which must be the most tragic thing, that scares me the most about having kids. One, they're a lot of money. Two, they take a ton of your time. And three, I can't, oh my God, I don't have a kid and it paralyzes me with fear, the idea of losing a kid. And I don't have one. That'd be like me going, I hope I never lose my Switch. I don't own a Switch. I could care less. But like, I can't imagine holding something. Like if I lost it, if for whatever reason, this podcast disappeared tomorrow, I'd be like, well, it was a fun ride. You know, I can't do it no more, but it was awfully fun. It was a cool thing. I met some cool people. I'd move on with my life. I can't imagine holding a child. And then, like, losing it someday. Oh, my God. I can't imagine that. And so the peace that this mother must have felt to see her son again in, in the flesh... 
It's an interesting story. I, I think that there is a big crossover between a lot of people have the theory that, you know, like de- aliens are actually demons and stuff like that. And I don't know if I've done an episode on that. I've mentioned it before. I think it's pretty common conspiracy theory. I don't think that's why I've done an episode on it specifically. I've talked about it before, but I think there probably is, just like we're seeing through the course of the show, there's a big connection between Bigfoot and aliens. We've done a lot of episodes on that. I think there might be a connection between aliens and just spirituality in general. I think the the world of the paranormal, we try to divide it up with ghost hunters and UFO hunters and Bigfoot hunters and stuff like that. Demonologists. But it's possible that they're just far more connected than we could ever really know. And whether or not this was a visitation of angels that took the form of extraterrestrial visitors, whether or not this was a simply ghostly activity that took the form of UFO visitors, we have to say it's possible that it was demons trying to fool the family and taking the form of her. I don't believe that's the case, but you know there would be people who would, who would have that scenario as well. But I think it's a very, again, despite the fact that I got the ages wrong in my head, I think it's a very touching story. And even if the child was, even if the child was, the the way I was reading it was that her son died when he was younger, and this was her showing that even in the afterlife, life continues. He was able, even though he, this is how I imagined it, even though he had died when he was younger, he'd still been able to fulfill his life getting married, having children himself, and stuff like that. She was seeing him as a younger being, but he had matured in the afterlife. That's how I read it. But again, now saying it out loud, I think he was an adult when he died. It was just this weird thing. But I, I again, when I think, I don't even like thinking about children passing away, but I, for whatever reason, I couldn't imagine like an adult passing away, his son passing away. When I hear that term, I always think of children, and it just rips my heart out. I can't imagine. I hate. That's one of the actually one of the things I hate about doing this podcast is the amount of stuff I read. I just read sometimes some horrible articles, just stuff that just real sad stuff. I try to avoid it at this point in my life. When I was younger, you know, you'd be like, "Oh, let's watch this crazy Syrian war footage and stuff like that," and you get to a point where you're just like, it just just reading headlines. Sometimes you just. I can't imagine having to go through that. So the idea that a mother could find peace, that her mother could see that her son died, but the life didn't end. He got married and had a kid in the afterlife. He's making friends. He's still able to visit her. Not only visit her, but he knows where she's at. Even if she never saw him again after that, just the idea of having proof that... Not only is there an afterlife, but you continue to grow and live and be happy in this afterlife is incredibly peaceful. Incredibly peaceful moment. So I wanted to share that story with you. I want I, I honestly believe that in death there is a continuation of life. And the passing of us from being alive to being dead is similar to us being born. When we're in the womb, the only universe we know is the womb. That's all we know. We may hear sounds and feelings and hear voices, music we can't really describe as we're in the womb. We don't know what's going. All we know is the womb. And then we come out and everything's colorful and loud and bright. We have these new sensations. We have taste. We have touch, sight, and sound. I think that's what it's like when you die. Like, you can't, we're in the womb. This is simply another womb. We can't comprehend what it's like outside the womb. 
that we're in. And it may be scary. It's very scary, I think, to think this is all there is. But just like a child in a womb thinks this is all there is. This is my whole reality. And those nine months are its entire existence. It can't comprehend anything outside the womb. We're basically just infants. And when we pass from this life to the next, we're reborn into a reality we couldn't even comprehend. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. So I hope that gives, it gives me peace. I hope it gives you guys peace as well to know that death is not the ending. It's just the beginning of another adventure. We're being born into a new reality. Maybe it's as simple as being reincarnated back onto this earth as a new consciousness. Or maybe it's something we couldn't even begin to comprehend. But either way, I believe life continues. <sighs> DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Bye.